0: And welcome again to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Bernard. This is the second part of our podcast with Chaz Chanko because there's so much uh, material to cover. We're now in the early 1980s, around '83 here. Certainly in terms of release date, we have Chaz and Laura Weymouth and The Whisper. Welcome again, Chaz. Hello, Jason. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, I was digging into the, this song and your album Casablanca. Uh, so Laura Weymouth was is known as the the sister of Tina Weymouth, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how,
1: how did you link up? Well, you know I was telling you um you know recently in the in the previous podcast yeah. we were talking about how I'd gone to Compass Point Nassau to record Lord Upminster within. So at that time the the Tom Tom Club who were an offshoot of, of talking heads mm. were also recording their first album on on island records and um that, so they were there recording it and um tina and chris the rhythm section and tina's sister laura and uh, so laura and i became affectionate towards another one another and 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 then later a kind of you know a relationship developed she went back to new york after that period and I went back to London but then I think we stayed in touch um and I actually went to New York at one point and um went to The Loft where she lived with Chris and, Tina, and I met David Byrne at one point um, i it was, it was a great time you know I mean I coming back to your your question so when I made Chazza Blanca, we were we were kind of writing songs together and she came to Nassau and, and recorded helped record um and did vocals on Chasablanca and we co-wrote some of those songs including Whisper and Without You and quite a few of the songs on that album
0: That's Laura we hear on the lead vocals and and you yeah. on sort of behind her Well yeah yeah I mean Jamie Lane who who was the drummer on the album he played the synths actually he was
1: a very good keyboard player and uh, so he, he I think he played the keys on on, on on whisper on that particular track. I seem to remember he got into the studio earlier than me that day, and you know, and when I went in, there was some sort of pounding synths already, and that was him at the helm of them. But generally speaking, you know, I, you know, I was taking care of a lot of the keyboard parts and guitars. And lead vocals actually
0: certainly on that track it it's less less of the R and B and a bit more of the yeah. indie dancey side
1: yeah I you're right um, absolutely I think she brought a bit more of that kind of New York stro Afro kind of feel to it mm. um, you know I mean her background and her sister's background was Talking Heads and there was always a very strong African element in that um, this kind of hybrid energy that came out of new york really you know it's such a cross-pollinization of, of cultures there mm. um and I, yeah she brought that to the um you know to, to the table and i i mean i've always been very receptive to whoever i'm working with that I'm, I'm receptive to their influences that they bring and don't try and resist it i just you know go with it really
0: and our second track of uh the, the second podcast here is a track that, that features Brenda Jones, You're My Occupation. We're moving forward about three years or so, and and this one's back to more of a sort of R&B, yeah. soulful edge. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah.
1: Well, you know, I have my studio um, called East Coast Studios, uh, which I was talking about a bit earlier, built in 1980 and i actually sold it in 1990 but i think this is around about 84 was it i don't have the net look at the or 85 i recorded you're my occupation mm. and it was a really interesting track because i mean basically i just you know it, it was all built around the baseline like a lot of times i write not all my material but a lot, often you know i'll just get a pumping baseline imagine i'm in a club and and off I go, you know. And uh I came up with the idea of, you know, this this top, you know, the, the chorus, the, the the hook, you're my occupation. And then it went through I work with quite a lot of people, different people, like a friend of mine who was um called is called Solo Peacock. She's a daughter of Annette Peacock, um, who's an English sort of um kind of um avant garde mm. sort of jazz artist, Annette Peacock. Her daughter contributed the the bridge kind of melody so then what happened was carol cooper suggested that i go to new york and work with willie colon and tremaine hawkins and brenda jones now brenda jones was a, a, a new york session singer and she thought she'd be great to sing on that song and then on your my occupation, and then I had also one other song. I think that was, it was really what happened. It wasn't three songs; it was two it was two songs. The other song was "I Don't Ever Feel I'm Alone," and Willie Colon is a huge um Puerto Rican artist that in New York, sells masses of records, and he's a trombonist, but he has his own band, and and so he he, he contributed um, a lot of kind of um, you know rhythms and 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 horns and to that other song not your my occupation i don't ever feel i'm alone and then tremaine hawkins who was the uh, niece of edwin hawkins oh happy day that, that 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 edwin hawkins yeah um she sang lead on it so she came from oakland california and you know and uh, i seem to remember she was a <laughs> she, she was a big- Concerned about the the cold because uh, and you know she had a scarf wrapped round her neck right. and um yeah you know, I think she just wanted to do the session as quickly as possible and get out of there but you know she did she delivered great and um there's an album called My Occupation the music of Chaz Jankel mm. and you can find that track on there I you know I don't ever feel I'm alone and that's with Tremaine Hawkins singing but but coming back to your My Occupation that was Brenda Jones Steve farone actually was added some drums on that he he was in the Average White Band and so all these great people came together at that one time in, in New York. And my, my one last thing to say about You're My Occupation. <laughs> um, a woman once said, she said that uh, she used to dance at Experiment Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> I think folks might know about that. Um, You're My Occupation. I, I took that as a great compliment. And um, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah. T- and Tony Blackburn played it once on, 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 I think, on Radio 2. or Yeah and that was it that that was it but um yeah you know i listen to it now and again and i i think yeah i really like that that tune i'm i'm, I'm proud of it and what a wonderful thing to do to be able to go to somewhere like a, you know a, another city five thousand miles away and just for two days work with people you're probably never going to see again or you might you know there might be a chance and you, you you're just thrown into this um creative pool of energy and um You know, and Mm -hmm. it's unique, that's all I can say. And it was, you know, a great memory for me, really.
0: there seem to be a bit of a, a, a transition towards the late '80s, where A and M hindered the release of your your fifth album, and and you got increasingly involved in soundtrack work. Is that yeah? That's true. That's true. I, I guess it's a bit more complicated.
1: No, no, you're pretty much right, right there. Actually, I mean, that was the the album that had You're My occupation was the fifth was in fact the fifth album, but they didn't want it. Yeah. You know, they they said no. We, you know, Chance you've lost your your way. I mean, Jerry Moss summoned me to his office in A&M Studios in, in LA and said, um, we're not going to renew your contract. Um, we feel that you've kind of lost your way, you know. And to be honest, I, I, I had. He <laughs> wasn't wrong. I was just pursuing many different genres of music.
0: I mean, you know, like exper- experimenting, really. It's a bit strange, though, because m- maybe some of your the other material that you were doing in that period, but that particular 12-inch is about as commercial as they come for, for their time.
1: Yeah, but you know what? Mm. You know, going back in time, it, then it wasn't – I don't think they quite knew how to market it. Maybe it was just seen as more being more you know, African uh, for American, yeah. that that thing. And it was – and, you know, it didn't have enough of my own identity in it, I suppose. I was just, you know, like a producer yeah. at that point. These days it's very different. You know, you get artists featuring somebody else all the time, mm. don't you? You know, back then, you know, I think they really had a problem knowing how to promote my identity What was my identity? Mm. I didn't even really know at that point. I was just, you know, yeah Doing a bit of this bit of that to be honest. I am still a bit of a butterfly I'm a lucky butterfly in that respect. Hmm. I, I you know, I sort of touch wood I've been lucky enough to make enough royalties to be able to pursue this life of a butterfly and um, so I've been, you know, I've mm. somehow created this space to, to to be expressive in in a lot of different ways. And you mentioned the the film soundtracks, and they actually started um, before that. Um, I started, but but, the, but but then, you know, in the early eighties, um, um, Chris Pettit, um, who was the editor of Melody Maker, recommended me to to the director of an unsuitable job for a woman. It was a, a, a film. Uh, that was the first film score I did. And it actually used a piece of music on my first album, which was called Chaz Jankel. And the piece of music was called Reverie. And I used it over titles. And then I asked, asked to do the score. So that was my first film score. But then after my, um, my record deal came to an end with A&M, I, it, it accelerated. And what happened was my sister, Annabelle Jankel, who was living with Rocky Morton at the time, um, they were they were very successful in the animation world. They did one for Elvis Costello. They even did one, did one for Miles Davis. They did one for the Tom, Tom Club. and They did a couple for me. There was one, it was a great one called Questionnaire. They did for me. And Without You, they did um, quite a lot of videos. And um, they got, oh, they also did Max Hedrum. They they directed Max Hedrum, whoever, for those who remember Max Hedrum. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so they were offered a deal with Touchstone, um, a three-picture deal, and the first picture was uh, DoA. It's a remake of a film noir called Dead on Arrival, with Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. And Annabelle asked me to come over to LA and and write the music for it, which I did. Um, and that was, and then then on the back of that, I got offered some other movies. And I think in all I've done about, I have not counted, but probably about fourteen or fifteen scores. There was a good film I'd I scored for Frank Rodham who who did Quadrophenia, who directed Quadrophenia. It was called War Party and uh, that that was uh, I really enjoyed doing that. Cat from Hell um, was another one I did which was a lovely little horror movie, a low budget horror pick. Yes, I did quite, quite a lot. You, uh, K2, I did the score for a movie called K2.
0: But DOA, the track itself is... It's certainly a, a, a piece of music that stood the test of time and, and and stands on its own feet. Yeah, I think so. I mean when I I mean the ballad da, 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 that one is that you
1: that's the one that, that actually is going to come up when you on, on the record. That is the theme from from DOA, and um, it took me quite a while to to find that piece. And when I got them, you know, I was, oh thank mm. God, you know, on one day when I was in LA, my sister came in. Yeah, that's it, that's it. Yeah. I remember the day I recorded it in LA, and and I got a clat, you know, sort of a round of applause from the from the string section. So I thought, whoa, blimey, you know, that that was a, a memorable moment in my life. Yeah, it, it is quite a haunting theme. I'm, you know, I'm I'm proud of that one. Yeah.
0: We have a, a, a shift, a return to to working uh, more with Ian. Was that? Um, yeah. Did that coincide with you coming back to to Britain? Well, I was. Yeah, I was in. I, I was. I moved to the states um, in
1: '86. My parents were both had been. Ill. My mother had been very ill, ill, passed onwards, and my dad then passed. He actually passed, and he was looking after her. And you know, I think the strain of it when she was very ill was too much for him and then he passed on Mm. and then i thought well okay well now i can physically myself move on and i moved to the states um and moved to la um this was 86 and i stayed there on and off i think it was to 90 till 92 actually i might have got my date slightly wrong it might have been more like 87 88 i I finally got my visa and went over to to the states i sometimes forget the actual date but i was there doing film scores hmm. and i was there till about 92 i came back to brussels and produced an album called turbo go do's do's from M- M- mario a, a french singer who was living in belgium who was married to a guy called arno who's a kind of equivalent of ian i suppose in belgium in you know um and then and she asked me to produce an album which i did Turbigo 1212 or do's do's So, I I, and also I I came back to London to do War Party and another movie called Killing Dad. I did those scores back at my old studio. So, I wasn't only living in the States, I'd come back to to Europe to do this or this and that. But then finally, in '92, I decided, no,
2: I'll
1: tell you what happened. One day, towards the end of my stay in LA, I found myself working a lot with. a latino musician called Martin Rodriguez and i had some some recording equipment in his studio in his house uh, downtown la and it was a dark little room and i i wasn't i thought what's happening here you know i mean i came here to do movie scores and now i'm in this little room and i don't feel wonderful you know and so these thought bubbles were sort of looming you know if you could see a cartoon picture of me you'd see thought bubbles and then the biggest bubble Was it like a chalet, like you see on the sort of, on a you know the cream cheese packet? I can't think, you know, you know, it's like the typical chalet on top of a hill. It Looks like it's in Switzerland somewhere, and uh, probably on craft cheese or something. (laughs) Mm. But anyway, I I saw this image of nature and air, and and I thought, you know what? I think that's Europe. I think that could be. It might be Italy. It might be Switzerland. But or Austria even. But what it symbolised to me was I wanted to get back to. Europe I think that's what it meant to me it represented that LA which I've always thought is quite an introverted place it's 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 almost like everybody's looking in and they're not looking out it's such a sort of it sucks you in I've found that I don't know whether you've been there Jason but I you know I I found only
0: once yeah yeah
1: and a lot of Brits don't can't handle it for one second but then some can you know some people think oh this is great and actually, I love the Latino culture when I was there. I, you know, a huevos rancheros, which is, you know, um, eggs with peppers has to be you know, one of the best breakfast ever. And that sort of Latino culture doesn't really translate to here. And I think that was one of my memories that I loved most about living in LA was that, which was, but that it was that, that I actually thought, no, that was, I've, I, you know, um, even though it was wonderful, and the respect about LA, the weather, et cetera, was great. And I had a '67 um, Ford Galaxy uh, convertible in aubergine mm. <laughs> colour, and with white wall tyres, dropped up. Mm-hmm. All very, very nice. And you know, had to be done. But at the end of the day, um, I wanted a more, a less homogenised and more authentic life. And so I came back to the UK in '92.
0: Was it just natural that you linked up with Ian yeah. again, or was there? Yeah, it was really.
1: Um, Interestingly enough, um, Derek Hussey, who has taken over from vocal duties from Ian ever since since Ian passed away in 2000, he was a kind of mutual friend. And and so even though Ian and I could, you know, like, we'd have time to depart and we'd get quite used to sort of being in our own domain, he kind of was a mutual friend and used to come down to my, I had a studio um, just off the, the Holloway Road in North London. And, uh, you know, we'd hang out. And I think he helped kind of bridge that gap between Ian and me. And, I, I you know, I don't remember the actual day-to-day events that happened, mm. but he, he certainly was a catalyst to uh, Ian and me kind of
0: working together again. I think one of my highlights from that period is dance little rude Ooh. boy. Was it just easy to... Was it easy to sweat back you wow. know, with Ian? I mean, what, yeah, you know, it was
1: really. I mean, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is with people just generally, and you, maybe you find this, the longer you know somebody, the less surprises, are, you know, you're gonna, <laughs> they're going to throw mm. at you. You sort of get to know their patterns of their behaviour. And, um, you know, it would become more trusting in me. Not all the time, but, you know, Ian was never, it was never straightforward with Ian. You know, he was one person when you were one-to-one writing with him and very amenable, but, you know, you give him a few drinks and give him a, an audience, you know, anywhere from three people upwards. And, you know, he became like, you know, like Bugsy Malone or, sort of, you know, like, you know, or, you know, Napoleon, he switched into sort of like, you know, commander mode and sort of like, or gang boss mode, however you want to put it. So it was never a straightforward journey within, but, um, mm but an illuminating, an illuminating ride all the same. <laughs> yeah. Hey, with your knife threads and your
3: nifty dreads and the dagger Dagenham- Swagger. With your tricky spews and your Cuban heels in the face of a carpet beggar. With your sweet cologne and your mobile phone and the moves of a desperado. You will cut a swede on your gangster's leave and an overdose of bravado. We see a double hip to the trippy tip and you're searching every quarter. You can throw more shapes than a jackanapes for someone's lovely daughter. So dance little rude boy doll. Dance, little Rude Boy Dance Dance, Little Boy
2: Dance You've got to know something Drive me to distraction Drive me raving mad Drive me to the action Take me one more time Drive me to the west wing Drive me to the right Drive me to the best thing That has happened to me
3: Pumps and a little bit of made-to-measure. With your shiny frock and your yellow socks, you're addressing it to your pleasure. With a urchin crop and a skimpy top, you gotta have a good thing going. With your lazy grace and your crazy face, who cares if your slippers shine? Now we can see your hip to the mothership when you pop it to the north horizon. You're the one who's having all the fun with everybody's eyes on. So dance, little rude girl, dance. Hans, little rude girl boss. Hans, little rude girl boss. You've got to know something.
2: Make me go bananas.
0: Obviously, these, this was the sort of latter the final years of his life was he in uh, good health when you first linked up with him? He, he
1: was, he was, he was a very dynamic character, you know I mean he didn't know many half measures um, at times he could be very sweet, at times he could be quite aggressive, assertive the album Mr. Love Pants. a lot of people say to us you know what a great album and Laurie Latham came back on board to record that that was in one but last album um that had oh no so you're talking about dance at uruboy which was from 10 more terminates from the tip mm. that was the last album you know ian sadly passed away in the middle of that or well he didn't get to finish it anyway i know that because there was a the ultimate awesome song i wrote with ian which, which was um you're the why yeah robbie williams stepped in and, and sung the vocals from that so you know, we got you know halfway through the album and we had to finish it off. I I sang a song there called I Could Lie. I think that was the last song I wrote with Ian. So that was that that was it really. And there was a great there was a great song there called Books and Mortar, and that was in a way a, a testimony to 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 where we got to as right you know as co-writers because I was on one day I was on on Primrose Hill in uh, North London near Camden Town, and Ian lived near there. And we were having a walk, and he just suddenly said to me, um, Chaz, you know," he said, "books and water." And I didn't say to him, "What? What do you mean? What are you talking about?" I said, um, "Okay, <laughs> it's like all right, you know, a bit like an old couple that sort of like sort of fill in the gaps, so to speak." And um, so I went away, and you know, we went back to our lives. And, and then one day, I was just thinking about books and water and i wanted to write a piece of music where i featured where everybody in the band got a kind of solo were featured not on, you know and and i did i came up with a piece of music and, and i just didn't know what to call it so i thought oh well, you know i'll call it books and mortar and um just don't know why and i sent it in there were no words on it other than it was just called books and water i sent it to ian and Ian gets back to me says um, you know I, I don't know about that I, I i'm not sure you know so i went over there i, I think i'd actually sent to him on ca- on cassette that was where things were at right then so this is what 99 probably in 1990 no, that's around about then yeah mm. and i went around there and he says no he said i, I don't like this you know he said i, I imagine something much more vulgar um you know m- musically and he said look it doesn't even fit and i said and he, he reads the verses he's got that he's now written for books and mortar and i said well hang on in as i'm listening to it i said listen what happens if you just start 16 bars later just start your lyric here and he did and everything just dropped like a you know bam it was like you know like the perfect fit and hmm. he looked at me and went oh my god and i went oh my god and it was really like you know hair standing on end time was like my god this is a perfect fit and that song's very special to me brooks and water you know because of that and then um it was like i you know i had it i had read the the situation well you know i kind of got the right environment for him just because i'd worked with him for years and and he hadn't he couldn't see it immediately to start with but it was just a question of starting your vocal your lyrics 16 bars after where you'd started it and then everything fell into place.
0: That song's linked in with yeah. uh, Ian's poem.
1: And that's right at the end. I think that's a kind of like a, a testimony to Ian or, a, you know, an epilogue or, you know, um, a dedication really to Ian, you know. Um, I mean, Ian was aware that, you know, that maybe this is he was coming to the, the, the last stage of his life, his, of his physical life, and his lyrics were reflecting that um and i think he was becoming and and interesting enough i found him toward you know as as time went by literally you know as cancer was taking its hold on him and ian was getting weaker there was a humility coming through ian which i'd never really seen Mm. i'd seen it in glimpses of it but he, he he sort of let go a lot of a lot of this armor and a lot of hostility um it was almost like he was going through a portal into another stage in his life, which wasn't all negative by any means. You know, it was like he'd got rid of each, a lot of shackles that that had, you know, that had, yeah, this fire, uh, you know, had really pushed him forward. Uh, but at the same time, it also had, you know, I think it had damaged him. You know, this anger often that he felt took its toll. Um, and then just one footnote to that, you know, when we were writing. Spasticus, when we were writing Spasticus, Autisticus, he he said to me, he said, Chaz, he said, do you know what my idea of rhythm is? And I went, no. And he he said, well, he said, did you see the film Zulu? I said, yeah. He said, well, do you remember when Michael Caine, he's standing there, he's got that brigade, you know, and he's standing there and you can hear the sound of
4: Hmm.
1: Zulus thumping on their shields on the other side of the mountain. um, 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 he said, "That's rhythm. That's rhythm. That's that is what rhythm is to me. It's the sound of aggression. It, it's like you know, hundreds of people all stomping on the floor all at once. You know, like or banging their shields. Or it's that collective force <laughs> that Ian was really tuned in on. So we, we, you know, if I wrote something with him." It, it, I'd always have that. I'd, I'd, I'd always have that in the back of my mind that that you know rhythm wasn't just okay, lads. We'll do this. We'll do a fast track now. We'll do a slow one. No, it wasn't that. It wasn't just what tempo should I bring this in at. It was all about the kind of fundamental force in life. You know, this he needed that to assail his physical um, disabilities. Having polio, you know, it was a struggle. To, every day was a struggle physically. He, he he need he needed support and and rhythm gave gave him that support actually
3: Small, so take a flying jump at the stirrup pump or the priory walls. We'll have your cobbler's oars, You'll never light the lamp when your matches them, And it's the sea green snow that really hits the spot. You put the rubber stamp on your stomach crimp. And what has time forgot is better not or what? Bucks and water. bricks. If you feel alright, you take a shot right that to the next rehab. Tie the nuptial knot, I've never will, I ain't got. And under every slab, there's even more kibab. Whereby you lose the plot about the truth, so what? And when they stop the clock upon the disused stock, the only common ground is at the lost and found. And with your arse in hock, say thanks a lot, old cock. For only 14 pounds, I'm Alabama bound. Books, and water. Take a pipe on this, and run like hell. If you ain't seen nothing like a you well... The big mainstakes, whatever else it takes. So do a flying jump at the stirrup pump. Is there a thrust spade? Thus are the brakes You'll never like a lamp when you matches them. And it's the sea green snob that really hits the spot. You put the rubber stamp on your stomach crap. Right? And what has time for It's better not or what? Books. And water You can do what you like on a Saturday night But you ain't coming home if you feel alright
5: I put all my eggs in one basket The basket that you gave to me One was called hope One was called truth Another called peace That makes three Now a moth circles round a bare light bulb, oddly reminding me of Francis Bacon. And then I wonder just where you are and what connections you are making. Yes, such a swift departure. You left me clutching at a half pint of lager. I looked up and you were gone, leaving the blockheads and all your mates on the stage to carry on the next generation bring them on bring them on bring them on so i'm left with the eggs and the bacon and you could be oceans away but if when i yell outside the gates of hell you appear with a smile and a swagger maybe we can sit down in the devil's arms and order a fresh pint of lager. And now we
0: have uh, Feel Alone, one of your uh, solo tracks. When was that recorded? Well, you know, I was talking
1: about it a little bit earlier because I called it I Don't Ever Feel I'm Alone. Um, right. But I think it's just called Feel Alone. So that was with Tremaine Hawkins. That was done in, you know, 1985. I, you know, I just talked a little bit earlier about it. Yeah. Um, a one-off experience, you know, um, You know, as I said, with Willie Colon, the, the Puerto Rican star, and, 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 you know, and myself in New York. At Bob Blank's studio, he was a recording engineer, literally his studio's called Blank, Blank Tapes, you know,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, he's gone on to be a, top, a world top ballroom dancer, as it so happens, uh, Bob Blank, so that was, you know, that's what, that's the song Feel Alone, and that was when it was recorded.
0: That was a song that featured on a retrospective of yours that, that managed to collect a lot of your solo material, titled uh, My Occupation, which... Uh, What was the background behind uh, getting all that together? Was it just a case of trying to uh, get get the music, you know, out there again?
1: What it was, was there's always been a kind of, you know, like an interest, particularly, you know, from young people, I'd say a generation younger or two generations younger who are into more into club music, you know, that end of things. And there was a guy called Tony Rosano. Um, who was working for Strut Records, who was talking about putting out a retrospective of the Blockheads, but the more kind of funky end of their stuff. Turned out that I don't think there was enough of just dance material mm. to fill an album. So he then started talking about putting a retrospective of my own music and we're going to put it out on Turk, T-I-R-K Records, um, which was more of a cl- club-based kind of label. And and so, you know, I basically, he, he and I, compiled the more dancey end of my material. You know, I know Karida, Glad to Know You. I think there was a song called To Woo Lady Kong, which was a kind of early reggae version of Glad to Know You, Feel Alone, all the kind of more dancey end of my material. And that's how it came about.
0: This period, you know, been more known for playing with the reactivated blockheads. You've been recording in your home studio and, and releasing material. I mean, we have here wherever we go. Oh from god! Your album, "The Submarine Has Surfaced." Wow. wow! Have you heard it? Have you listened to it? Yeah, it just continues that. Yeah, that that. Yeah, well, you know like sound it of flows your...
1: through me yeah. because I I I don't actually consider myself a singer. You know, it's just like. Well, if there's no one else around and i and I'm right I've written some you know and I feel compelled or to to write a lyric i just i sing it <laughs> just to get it down you know, and uh wherever we go was a kind of just seemed to flow out mm. and uh that then kick started that whole album of the submarine surface and on that album um do you have a date on that album? Can you see it? Is it two 2000- thousand
0: 2010, apparently. 2010.
1: Yeah, that's right. I'm, I sort of got together, I think there's six different lead singers on it, but on different tracks. Yeah. I remember, yeah, and I recorded it at my home studio. Actually, it's a converted attic. It's just a room with a load of musical equipment in it. I'm actually sitting in the, here right now, looking out the window. And yeah, so yeah, that took, I probably took about two years to make or 18, 18 month time. And then I, at the end of it, I did one gig. I mean, you know, <laughs> one gig at the Jazz Cafe and I assembled a 14-piece band, you know, well over the top, really, but it was great fun. And, um, and I did loads of material, including all that album, well, ne- I think nearly all that album, plus I, I performed Reasons to be Cheerful and, and Hit Me. Um, I think Derek came up and, and sang those, you know, with me. Derek, the, you know, who, who took over from me in, in, in the, um, mm. uh, the Blockheads. Uh, With you know, sang from 2000 onwards till now. it was. I did some different arrangements, so I'd incorporated Nino Corita, a bit of Quincy Jones's arrangement, and then when it came to Reasons to Be Cheerful, I transcribed or got transcribed Johnny's guitar solo for horns. So, you know, that was great. Um, Johnny uh, Turnbull uh, played the, the guitar solo on the original Reasons to Be Cheerful. And I invited him down that night to the gigs at the jazz cafe, and he heard his guitar solo, you know, played by horns, which was, you know, a good moment for me. Hmm. Um, But after that, you know, the the strain, the the actual pressure of doing that gig and you know all the rehearsals um, had resulted in me getting a frozen shoulder. Um, I don't know whether you've you've ever had anything like that, but it's, Hmm. it's it's really painful. Um, I think I'd actually pulled a tendon in my, one of my arms through carrying keyboards and mic stands and guitars and everything. Probably to about eight rehe- full scale rehearsals where the gear had to be taken in and taken down. And then, you know, every time and there's a lot of haulage required. So the strain of that, the effect it had on my body I thought that's it i I can't do any more gigs but i had done the one gig and proved to myself yes i can do it if i want you know i can go out and perform as myself
0: Next we have The Blockheads, uh, Grey Eye and The Blockheads. If it can't be right, then it must be wrong. And that was from the Reasons to be Cheerful musical, was it? Yeah, Um, about five years ago, um,
1: the Grey Eye Theatre decided to put a production together of Reasons to be Cheerful. It's about the story of two lads on the way to um, an Ian Dury gig. And within the musical, there's all... You know, a lot of songs from from the, from Ian and the Blockheads. You know, uh, Reasons. To be, well, obviously, Reasons to Be Cheerful, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. A lot of songs.
4: Yeah.
1: Um, I think they also could really identify with Ian. You know, because of Ian's polio um, and Grey Eye. You know, is a, is a disabled theatre company. So there was a lot of empathy and that kind of like um, spirit. The spirit was incredible. Everybody who saw Reasons to Be Cheerful, you know, was like gobsmacked i don't think i've ever seen a production of anything with so much fire and energy and commitment that they put in into into. it was brilliant and um you know um so i think a little while ago well when it was so then they revived the, the the musical i think that's right that was a few years ago they got some money government put some money up or they got endorsed to come and quite happen but they put the production on again of reasons to be cheerful which is about two years ago i i wrote a new song if it can't be right with Derek and john kelly who, who was the, the lead actor in in the um in the production um all about the kind of and you know the, the cutting of of benefits for disabled people you know by the government and that was the central core of it how you know how wrong it was that was the core of the lyric So that song was really good because it kind of then brought the whole, it wasn't, they weren't just singing songs from 20 years ago. They were now singing a song which was relevant to their situation today. And it really pepped up and, you know, it was like, you know, it was like a, yeah, it it really pepped up existing material that was already in the show. Um, It added to it and it certainly, you know, lifted it. You know, when I saw it, it, it sounded great and, so that—that's the relevance of that song.
0: It does fit perfectly alongside the in Dury and the Blockheads material that people are, are familiar with, in, in the yeah. show, so.
1: Derek, who took over from Ian, right? He, you know, like he—he he identified a lot with Ian, and you know that kind of um, the the way he um, delivers his li- lyrics and his his concerns, very similar to Ian. I, you know, so. And then John Kelly, because he identified so much with Ian, um, that's where I think you get this tie-in of um, continuity. Where, you, where you're hearing, it sounds like, you know, oh yeah, this could very much be Ian doing the blockheads. That's where you get that continuity from. Mm. Is one of you know identification, I think, um, from John Kelly and, and Derek, and obviously myself, who you know helped you know work with Ian for so long.
6: right, then it must be wrong. What's going to happen when the benefit's gone? Let's get things straight and face the facts. Independence, allowance and a bedroom tax. When you need some help and the door slam shut, you're kicked in the cobblers with scathing cuts. Heads can't be buried in red tape sand, it could all be done and dusty with a simple plan. Keep, it in the, Keep the pressure up. Keep the
5: funding
6: flowing from a loving cup. Over 40 years ago When expectations rose so high And people had more soul If it can't be right then it must be wrong What's going to happen when rights have gone If it can't be wrong then it must be right Let's stick together and keep it tight If it can't be wrong then it must be right I'm more Go with this awful plight Hard enough already if you don't know how to juggle it. It'd be much better if we didn't have to struggle So sharpen up the system and fix it quick Cut the middle management and empty rhetoric Don't patronise the vulnerable and add to their stress Sort independent living, MN the NHS Keep the going Maintain some dignity Keep the message simple Seek some parity We were better off last century Over 40 years ago when expectations, expectations rose so high and people had more souls If it can't be right, then it must be wrong. If it can't be right, it must be wrong. If it can't be right, then it must be wrong. If it can't be right, then it must be wrong. If it can't be right, then it must be wrong. If it can't be right, then it must be wrong. If it can't be right, then it must be wrong. If it can't be right, then it must be wrong. Like Before you act, don't bring us to our knees Free us from the shackles of this credit squeeze We can't all swim in a pool of bees and honey That's stating facts, not trying to be funny Dump the silly forms and demeaning questionnaires Replace them with missing feeling and some loving tender care Keep it in the frame. Keep the pressure up Keep the funding flowing From a loving cup let has got a better future Free from fiscal strife And open up the floodgate
0: And we have uh, two tracks to close the show, which are, I think, unreleased and very, very new, if that's right, Chaz, uh, The first of those two being uh, Catch You Later. Oh, my gosh. Well,
1: actually, you couldn't get more up to date because right today, this afternoon, the guy who I've worked with a lot, Dylan Martin, who's made a lot of my videos, which are all up on YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel. Uh, and a lot of my my, my videos are up there for, for songs that I've recorded ever since, I think, from the early 80s onwards, really, Mino Carida, And um, anyway, so Dylan Martin um, has just sent me a graphic, just so I can check it before we put this song up on, on, on YouTube. Um, and catch you later. Basically, was just a kind of I was you know, I I um, it happened about a week ago. I was just about to get in the shower at the home into the shower and suddenly a little bass line just popped into my head. And I, I, I managed to grab my iPhone and you know and go into voice mellows and and just literally sing the bass line I'm hearing, just you know a few bars of it. And then in an hour later, you know, I was out the shower, you know, in my studio and started putting the track together. And as I as the track developed, I was thinking about it. I thought, wow, it'd be really nice to get uh, a keyboard player called Sean Hargreaves, very very a brilliant jazz pianist who lives near me in North London. And um, so I sent, you know, I put what my track, what I'd done together, I sent it to him. Um, and uh, and 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 I said, listen, can you sprinkle some of your magic on it? Mm. And I didn't really hear back from him for a few days. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's either forgotten or <laughs> he doesn't like the track. But then that's typical that's of, of him. You know, he, you have to wait. But then when what you get is brilliant. You know, that's what I got. And he sent me back um, the Fender Rose, you know, the Fender Rose track that you'll hear on the track, Catch You Later. And uh, I sent it back to him, the mix I'd put down. And he made a couple of suggestions. And then I think it was literally on my birthday, the 16th of April. I sent him back birthday boy mix and I I didn't say it was my birthday I said this is birthday boy mix and he calls me back later and he says "Some a little birdie tells me it might be your birthday you know Hmm. and that was it we went with that mix catch you later and I don't know I just called I didn't even know why I called it catch you later sometimes you know you've got to call a track something you know or a file something and that was just the first thing that came up into, into mind really
0: Close, I think, Chaz. I'm not sure there could be more fitting way to close. Another unreleased track, even now with a new material, you're adding or, or showcasing another sort of sound with uh, Meditation in D.
1: Yeah, thank
0: you. And, you know, what we haven't really
1: talked about is my love of jazz yeah. because um, Ian introduced me to jazz. Um, before that, I was listening, you know, I thought Astrid Gilberto and, you know, Sergio Mendes and, and you know, Brazilian people acts what was my idea of jazz but he introduced me to the you know the heavyweights lee morgan you know miles um bill evans and that that was something that's really propelled me so you know often i'll just sit down the piano and i write a lot of jazz actually a lot of you know and a lot of often the time it's jazz ballads and we haven't really talked about that this afternoon but there's one album i made called out of the blue mm early in 2000 which is up which is up on Spotify and, and so forth and iTunes and that's an instrumental jazz album I made but I thought I'd just mention that but coming up to the piece you've just talked you, you just mentioned meditation indeed that was inspired really I went to a meditation session with a, a a guru called Guru Mai she's from the Siddha lineage I don't know you know like there would be chance and that there would be an atmosphere to it a very kind of cyclical very simple yet collective feeling a wonderful feeling um that that i heard at this particular on this particular occasion and subconsciously i think a few a few weeks after that i start i i, I composed this piece meditation indeed this was must have been early 2000 and it was on an album I called Experience, which is up on YouTube. Um, but I decided to re-record it, you know, about two, well, about mm, 18 months ago, with a, uh, a violinist I met called Aos Council, who had once worked with the Blockheads. Cut a long story short, we started working together, and that was and meditation scene was one of a bunch of pieces that we wrote but right at this moment the only piece that she was satisfied with with her performance and I, and I, I think she was right about it was was meditation in d so what happened was we recorded out of 12 pieces i think we've wrote together and collaborated on four we recorded in in snap studios in london and it it was a bit sort of tense and it wasn't quite how it what we wanted she said afterwards we you know we we tap we, i think we we recorded five tunes that day but you know she said it was it, it was too much you know um i'm not happy with my performance blah 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 and we didn't speak to each other for about six months and so that you know and then one day we did start talking to each other and um mm. and i didn't quite know what to, what to do with it and then one then one day i had this thought you know what it was just piano all we'd recorded was piano and violin, and I thought, you know, I wonder what would happen if I started adding a few extra instruments. Up to that point, I'd thought, you know, this is sacrosanct, like it, you know, it, it, like it is. I, you can't, I can't, you know, it is what it is. That's it. But then I thought, no, no, think beyond that. Don't be so rigid. What you know? And I started thinking about adding a few other instruments, and that's what I did. I, you know, I just kind of intuitively added you know, a harmonium, tambura, some synths um, to, to the piano and violin. And that was it. That's how meditation in D came about. And just one last thing to mention is that it is now up on, on YouTube. And, I, and I've and i been doing all along through all of this, you know, all this music. Actually, this hobby of mine started in about um, mm. seven years ago. I started taking pictures of nature particularly leaves, believe it or not. I was, I really had loved this kind of, you know, the beautiful, the way it just changes. It's never still, you know, everything's changing the whole time. And if you take a photograph, you just capture something that otherwise it, it wouldn't be seen by other people. And I, I almost get into the kind of abstract quality of looking at leaves. You know, they kind of almost look like stained glass, you know, because I'm, if, if you looked at um, and you've all looked at my Facebook page, I'm always you know probably about once every ten days I'm putting up a new photograph of something I've seen in the park near me. There's, there's some trees which I absolutely love the kind of the colours and the leaves. And what I've done on this particular the video for meditation in D, um, I asked Dylan Martin, who, who compiles my videos, to um, edit photo montage of photos I've taken recently in this beautiful light of, of spring. And in a way that kind of the older I get, the more I kind of just want to be in a, in a, in a calmer, more, you know, harmonious atmosphere wherever I am. I I just,
4: Mm.
1: you know, naturally want to move towards that. And I think this music reflects that I'm not, it's not to say I'm not interested in making more physical, music but there is a part of me that absolutely melts when i hear beautiful you know um symphonic music
0: fantastic what a pleasure it's been to speak to you over two podcasts Chaz. and uh you know before we go not forgetting the release of uh step back uh, your your latest single as well yeah
1: oh that's right jason that's why we started the podcast with step back yeah yeah, yeah. And i'm really happy with that tune um you know um who knows i might be out there in six months performing it live <laughs> yeah
0: yeah uh, that that would be yeah. lovely
1: um thanks jason thank you well you know like you know we, we're all doing we're all coexisting and supporting each other that's the truth isn't it you know we, we're all part of a bigger story than our own you know thanks a lot great jason take
0: care then. thank you all right Bye. all right thank you bye now